College football season is here, and it's going to be one where we see experiments playing out in real time. It's Friday, September 1st. Welcome to the latter third of the year. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Big Ten is taking a page from the NFL in its approach to its media work. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Hey, Owen. How's it going? Doing great. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. So uh, college football season is upon us. Uh, you've been looking into how the Big Ten is kind of replicating the NFL in how it does TV. So talk to me about that. Yeah, new media deals starting this season for the Big Ten, $7 billion in total over the next seven years with Fox, CBS, NBC. Does that sound familiar? Uh, think about it, it does. this way. We just need Amazon in there, then we got the whole package. Right, Amazon, ESPN, not quite. But think about it. On Sundays, when you're watching NFL games, maybe you watch an NFC team on Fox, you watch the Patriots play on CBS, and then your nightcap, the Chiefs and Mahomes are on NBC Sunday Night Football. Just, a, just an example of a regular old Sunday, right? Well, come this year and really starting in 2024 and beyond, if you're a Big Ten fan, that's kind of what your Saturdays are going to feel like. Fox has its big noon telecast that's going to be broadcasting a lot of Big Ten games. CBS is ending its SEC deal this year, one more year of that, but also bringing in the Big Ten. And really, the Big Ten is going to be their big focus after their SEC deal ends. And then you have Big Ten Saturday night on NBC. And this was all by design from the networks, from former commissioner Kevin Warren negotiating these deals. The Big Ten wanted to kind of be like the NFL. That was what Kevin Warren kind of wanted to do since he came from an NFL background. And it's all starting this weekend. Yeah, you know, hearing you lay that out, in a way it's surprising that we haven't seen the NFL model replicated. I mean, college has always been its own thing, and there's there's lots of conferences, there's not just one. But yeah, why not just try to own Saturday the way the NFL owns Sunday? Right, it's an interesting concept because the more network media partners you have, the more coverage you're going to get, right? But from a network perspective, you know, ESPN is going to have all of the SEC content starting next year in 2024. They have everything right now except that marquee CBS game. So from a network perspective, you kind of want to own the whole thing, right? But from maybe a conference or league perspective, you want to have a little bit more wide reaching. Yeah. And you spoke to some executives at NBC and CBS. How do they see uh, this whole setup? How are they approaching it? Well, I mean, unsurprisingly, they're very excited, right? But I think they bring up some good points. Uh, from, from NBC's perspective, they, they've kind of wanted this for a while, and they weren't able to get this Big Ten package until this most recent media negotiation happened a couple years ago. And, and for CBS, you know, this goes back several years. They, they lost the SEC deal to ESPN, who came in with a much larger price, and now they're coming in for this Big Ten deal. You could kind of debate which one is better. Would you rather have part of the... Big Ten or, you know, part of the SEC, but this is going to be their main college football package. They're going to get the Big Ten championship game every couple of years. It's going to rotate just like the Super Bowl does across its NFL networks. So everybody's really excited and it's going to be a lot of cross promotion between, hey, go watch this game on NBC, go watch this game on Fox or CBS. And they're all going to be kind of working together as the Big Ten expands to 18 teams next year. Maybe they have 20 by the time we're talking again next year. Who knows? 
Yeah. Side note, it's starting to drive me a little crazy how the names of the conferences, the the number doesn't apply anymore, and neither does the geography. The, the Pac-12 is no longer, I mean, the Pac-12 is not a thing anymore anyway. But yeah, they're, they're all over the country. And yeah, the Big Ten is way many more than 10 teams. Um, pet peeve of mine. Um, let's stay in college football, but head a little bit to the West. Um, usually the amount of attention a team gets correlates roughly to how good that team is, how much of a history it has. There is one big exception, and that is in Colorado with Deion Sanders. So tell me the story there. Right. We've been waiting for it since Deion Sanders was hired in December, Coach Prime in Colorado. Finally, this Saturday, they make their regular season debut. Colorado's traveling to TCU, ranked number 17. But remember, they're the uh, runners-up in the college football playoff last year, lost to Georgia in the national championship game. So really big game. And like you mentioned, Colorado's not necessarily projected to be one of the better teams this year. Vegas mostly has them at like three and a half wins for their win total over under this season. But at the beginning of the season, everybody wants to see Coach Prime. They're going to do back-to-back weeks on Fox's big noon kickoff game at noon on Saturdays, first against TCU, then Colorado's home opener against Nebraska next weekend. So who knows? They might lose both of those games, but everybody's going to be watching because we can't. We haven't been able to ignore Deion Sanders for the past couple months. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that in the, the ticket prices as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, TCU only has standing room only available Colorado, Nebraska sold out. So if you're looking on uh, SeatGeek, StubHub, I think some of these average game prices are getting up to over $400 for for a ticket for maybe Nebraska, Colorado. It's pretty crazy, and it just shows the demand uh, of Coach Prime. Yeah, and just to briefly get into the realm of speculation here, how long do you think this honeymoon period is going to last? I mean, Sanders has, you know, he's completely remade that roster, you know, over the course of a few months. He's getting all this attention. Um, Yeah. What's his runway, you think? Well, typically, whether it's college, NFL, you kind of have you say, oh, you need three years to remake a team. Right now, not everybody is that patient, especially in the NFL these days. But I would think you would give him at least a couple seasons, see how it goes this year. Let him get another recruiting class in next year. I mean, you had record donations to Colorado's athletic department this year. I would expect that to go up again next year, I'm sure, unless there's just just a catastrophe this year. But I think it really comes down to winning, right? All this hype, all this fanfare, it's awesome. It's bringing in the media attention, the dollars, the donations. But that's going to dry up if it's like, okay, well, Deion Sanders isn't actually winning anything for us. So I say see how this year goes, one more year, and then, you know, we'll we'll start evaluating. Excellent stuff. David Rumsey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Up next, the Los Angeles Angels made one of the more dramatic 180s in recent memory, first loading up at the trade deadline and then unloading many of the players they had just acquired by putting them on waivers. That franchise faces some existential questions on what happens next. I spoke to former Marlins president David Sampson on that whole situation, and that conversation is coming up next. I'm joined now by former Marlins president and host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. David Sampson. Welcome, David Sampson. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you? I am great. A lot going on in the business of sports right now. Absolutely. So let's start with our friends, the Los Angeles Angels. So they just completed one of the more dramatic 180s in recent memory, first loading up at the trade deadline and then unloading at the waiver deadline after they did not win very many games. Um, 
give me the the state of that franchise right now. It's if it's a Genesis song. I think it's a state of confusion. But on the other hand, I have great respect for what they did. So it used to be there were two deadlines in baseball. The July 31st trade deadline and then the August 31st waiver trade deadline. That doesn't exist anymore. It used to be that you could make trades after the trade deadline, but only if a player cleared waivers. So what we would do as a front office is put our players through waivers, which is supposed to be confidential. And they are revocable, which means that if someone claims your player, you can pull them back and keep them, and th- or you can let them go to the team who claims them, or you can trade him to the team which claims him. If no team claims your player, then you're allowed to trade him wherever you want by the August 31st deadline. And the reason why August 31st was a deadline is that's when postseason rosters needed to be set. Now, the 31st of August is still the deadline when postseason rosters need to be set in terms of who'd be eligible to play on your postseason team. But there's no more waiver trades. So now there's just good old waivers. And what that means is you put a player out on waivers, and if a team claims him, they get him if they're awarded the claim. So 30 teams can claim a player, and the team with the worst record of the claiming teams is the team that is quote-unquote awarded the claim. So if the Oakland A's, who had the worst record in baseball as of yesterday, Wednesday, I don't know what day it is, but as of Wednesday, if Oakland claimed any player, they got him. If you've got the best record in baseball and you're Atlanta and you claim a player, the only way you get him is if nobody else claimed him. So what the Guardians did is they put in claims on players and they got him. It's like making a bid on eBay and you're not sure if you're going to get it. And then you're tapped. And now the Angels had no choice. If the Guardians claim Giolito, Giolito is now a Guardian. If the Cincinnati Reds claim Harrison Bader, Harrison Bader is now a Cincinnati Red. But when you claim a player, you have to pay that player's contract. So the Guardians took on money. And they took on money, which means the Angels saved money. So the Angels went forward at the deadline. They played like crap. And now they said, we never would be buyers. We'd be sellers. Now we're going to sell. And so they were able to lower their payroll in what is the proper business move. Query, should they have bought in the first place? Give them credit for doing it. Their GM actually said, we're rolling the dice. Well, it came up snake eyes. Yeah. And, you know, I give them credit for, you know, doing their last hurrah with Otani and, and you know, he's, he's as good as gone. Um, it does. I mean, and, you know, it didn't work out. Now they're getting below the uh, the competitive balance tax threshold so they can get a better, uh, better pick when Otani goes. It does feel like that franchise is is in a deep hole. I mean, I love Trout, but he's got yeah, huge amounts of money left on that deal, and it doesn't feel like they've got a whole lot else. Otani's gone. They couldn't win with Otani. Why do you keep saying Otani's gone? Do you have do you have insight? Are you breaking news here? 
I, I am not breaking news, but I know, well, I'm not going to say 29 other teams because 29 other teams cannot afford him, but uh, at least 10 teams who are more enticing than uh, the Angels. He tried it with the Angels. And I think he wants to win. I think he wants to get paid and win. And I, don't, I think only one of those things is going to happen with the Angels. You got to be careful. So uh, my good friend, Giancarlo Stanton, wanted to be a Yankee. You know, he wanted to win a World Series. He has yet to do it. It's hard to win a World Series. My, my great, our great player, Miguel Cabrera, won a World Series his first year spent the rest of his career trying to win another one and is going to retire without another ring, just the one ring he got with the Marlins. Winning is really hard in baseball. And so all these teams that say, or players who say, I just want to win rings, it's hard. It's not like in basketball where you can chase a ring by putting together a super team. It doesn't work that way in baseball. Sure, but... If you know you, you're you're let's make you a baseball player. You want a ring? Are you? And the Dodgers want you. The Padres want you. The Yankees want you. The Mets want you. And the Angels want you. Who, who are you going to? If I'm comfortable, you know, don't underestimate how comfortable Shohei may be with his life in LA. The comfort of un- knowing the clubhouse, knowing the stadium, knowing his teammates, the family of his interpreter. Who knows? There could be a lot of other factors in there. If the Angels offer him the same amount of money. And I think they will, as any other team. I don't think it's a slam dunk that he leaves the Angels. All right, interesting. We shall see. Uh, let's let's um, look at some stadium situations. So we've got the White Sox want a new home. Then they're sort of making noises about maybe going somewhere else in the area. Probably not out of Chicago or you know maybe to a suburb, but same area. Um, <laughs> the Royals are looking at a couple different spots. Uh, Milwaukee is you know saying we want public money and we're not quite sure what we'll do if we don't get it. The A's and the Rays are their ongoing thing. Um, oh, what do you see? Do you see any overarching narrative in terms of what's going on here? I do. It, it used to be that we were in a stadium cycle, and it started actually with the White Sox. They were sort of the first new stadium, though I consider the Orioles the really first new stadium, which was the first retro stadium. And what Bud Selig thought is that all teams would be settled in a much shorter period of years. But when Camden opened in 92 and Marlins Park opened in 17, it turned out that it took an entire generation. I don't know how we define generations anymore, but let's just say we describe them in 25 years. There may be a definition of a generation that's 20 years, whatever the case may be. But in 25 years, there were still two teams that were left standing without a dance partner, and that's the A's and the Rays. But now that that generation is over, we're now up to the next generation where the teams that had new stadiums, those new stadiums are old, Baltimore. Those new stadiums are older, Milwaukee, Arizona. And part of their lease with the public said these stadiums must always be first-class stadiums. It's almost like the NFL contracts where a quarterback says, I always want to be one of the top four highest-paid quarterbacks, so I don't know what my pay will be, but I want the average of the top four. There are provisions you put in ballpark deals. We want to be, quote-unquote, a first-class stadium. Whatever that means, we want to be it. And Miller Park is not that. It's not even called Miller Park anymore. Uh, Where the Diamondbacks play is not that. And so they're trying to get public money. And the public is saying, we already did this. We don't want to do this again. But then the owners say, you have to do it. And if you don't, I'll move. And then Mark Anastasio, the owner of the Brewers says, yeah, we're not really wanting to move. We'll extend the lease, but we really do need public money. The Diamondbacks really don't want to move. Baseball doesn't want anyone to move because they need markets open for expansion because baseball wants to get to 32 teams. 
but baseball didn't expect there to be so many stadium issues prior to expansion. They certainly had hoped that the A's and Rays would be done because they want to expand quickly. And now all of a sudden it's blurry. What generation we're in? Who needs new stadiums? Because it turns out that more than one, two, three, four, or five teams do. And that number is going to keep getting bigger, which leads me to my conclusion, Owen, which is we're always going to be in a new stadium cycle. It doesn't matter what it is. There will always be a team who's trying to get public money for a stadium. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly feels that way that, yeah, just between the 30, probably soon to be 32 teams, someone's always going to be at that point where they can see the end of their lease or their stadiums falling apart. And actually speaking of stadiums falling apart, Anaheim is in that same situation, the Mm -hmm. Angels, um, where they have some part of their lease that says they have to maintain certain standards. The city, I can't remember if it's the city or the county, I think it's the city, is saying, look, you guys have to spend around, I think it was $300 million to bring this up to standard. Um, Artie Moreno at some point was saying, you know what, I'm just going to sell the team. He's since backed off there. Do you see anyone, any of these owners, maybe Reinsdorf in Chicago, there's some rumblings about Arizona. Do you think anyone might have one foot out the door here? Oh, I think there's going to be a lot of teams for sale. The Nationals are trying to sell. The Angels are trying to sell. I think you're going to see the Angelos to sell Baltimore. And the reason why I think you're going to see some changes and why teams have not sold really as much as I expected, Artie Moreno, don't believe what he said when he said, oh, the reason I'm not selling is I changed my mind. I want to bring a World Series to this community. I love you, LA. It's a bunch of horse hockey. He didn't get the price he wanted. And the reason he didn't get the price he wanted is he put a value on the media broadcast deal that a potential buyer couldn't impute because... We don't know what the value of TV rights are because it's such a changing changing landscape. It's the same issue with the Nationals. The learners want to sell that team, but they're in a dispute with the Orioles over their TV rights, Masson. And while they've settled a portion of it, there's a lot of outstanding litigation left to be done. So it's hard for a buyer to figure out what the buyer would want to pay, not knowing what the value is of the TV rights. So I think that you will see teams changing hands. And you are going to see valuations continue to go up, but there's a bit of a yellow light at the moment because we're in such a sea change in terms of the bankruptcy of Diamond, Sinclair Valleys. And so people are trying to figure out what everything is worth. And that's difficult to do at the moment, which is why there's been a bit of a slowdown. Yeah. And on that last point, so yeah, Diamond's going bankrupt. They've already lost the rights to a few teams or trying to hang on. Warner Bros. Discovery is getting out of the RSN game. Do you see some kind of end game, whether it's MLB taking over production of a bunch of teams or some kind of new entity or it all goes to streaming or, or what? Is this going any particular direction? MLB would like to control the streaming rights for all 30 teams and they'd like to nationalize it and, and then distribute the money equally amongst 30 teams. But you've got enough teams to block, which is eight teams. That's what you need to block anything in baseball because you need 23 yes votes to do anything out of 30. And what the bigger teams are saying, like Boston and like New York, they're saying, I'm not sharing my streaming rights. I own my streaming rights. And they've actually started direct to consumer. There's a Yes app where you can stream in market Yankee games by buying the Yes app. Baseball is not going to get the Yankees rights as much as they want it. So what is the play here? Fenway Sports Group just made a play to buy the regional sports network in Pittsburgh. Why would they do that? The Astros are making a play to combine with the Rockets to buy their local RSN from Warner Brothers Discovery. Why? 
They want to control streaming. Fenway Sports Group isn't doing this for any other reason other than combining streaming rights of multiple teams in a way to offer more content to people who are willing to pay more for that content. Hey, if you want to buy the Red Sox, guess what? You're getting the Pirates and you're going to pay for it. Thank you. It's sort of like the old cable model, which everyone misses, but they don't want to say they do because the old cable model is people paying for crap they don't want. And that's brilliant for the people receiving the money and terrible for customers who don't want to pay for stuff they don't want. So there's going to be an argument between the consumer and the owner of the content. And consumers have the last laugh because they can say to themselves, I will forego my Red Sox if you're making me do pirates, but they're not going to. And that's the bet that FSG is making, Fenway Sports Group. And that is what the Astros are doing by buying that network. They're certainly not buying it because these regional sports networks are worth a premium right now. They're, they're falling apart. They're declining assets. But within those declining assets, there's a bit of gold, and that's the streaming rights. And so I can see that totally working for the Red Sox, Yankees, maybe the Mets, Dodgers. What about you? You're the Cincinnati Reds. You're the Pittsburgh Pirates. You're the, you're petrified. You're the other teams. Yeah. Uh, are, are, you, are you kind of screwed right now? No, the, this is the whole issue. It's why Rob Manford put together the Economic Reform Committee. As they're approaching 2026 in the next labor agreement, he's got to keep these owners from fighting with themselves and focus on just fighting against the union. And the reason why there's more infighting amongst owners is that the price of the teams have gone up. People are buying teams at an increased valuation, and now they've got to make the financial models work because they borrowed money and they need to pay the debt service. And so they want to make sure that they are put in a position where they can monetize their asset. And it's difficult now, and you know this. Streamers are not fully monetizing the asset yet, but it's going to happen. There'll be more consolidation. There will be more uh, monetization, but it just hasn't fully been baked quite yet. David Sampson, pleasure as always. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. That is it for today. We will be off on Monday, enjoying the long weekend. I hope you are too. If you're enjoying the show, send us a rating, a review, or just tell a friend to tune in. Thanks for listening. We will see you Tuesday.